0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. When the Pharisees with some scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they observed that some of His disciples ate their meals with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees, and in fact all Jews, do not eat without carefully washing their hands, keeping the tradition of the elders. And on coming from the marketplace, they do not eat without purifying themselves. And there are many other things that they have traditionally observed. The purification of cups, and jugs, and kettles, and beds. So the Pharisees and scribes questioned him, Why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders, but instead eat a meal with unclean hands? He responded, Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines human precepts. You disregard God's commandment but cling to human tradition. He summoned the crowd again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, nothing that enters one from outside can defile that person. But the things that come out from within are what defile. From within people, from their hearts, come evil thoughts unchastity theft murder adultery greed malice deceit licentiousness envy blasphemy arrogance folly all these evils come from within and they defile the gospel of the lord This is the second weekend in a row where I am I am deaconless, and I feel lost without our deacons. Okay, I feel it's only fair to warn you at the outset that uh, uh, we're going deep tonight, so we're, we, you'll be out of here by 7 o'clock for sure, okay, so I'll guarantee you that. I feel like I haven't had a 5 o'clock Saturday Mass in forever, so I feel like I've got to make up for it, you know, so 7, 7.30, you'll be fine, all right. So one of the things that the Second Vatican Council called for uh, when it came to the reform of the liturgy was that the faithful would be better equipped to engage in and, and participate in the liturgy. The Second Vatican Council envisioned a laity, uh, a faithful that would be more fully engaging in these ancient, beautiful rituals that we have as Catholics one of the taglines that became really popular as a result of this that maybe you've heard from the Second Vatican Council was they wanted the faithful to have more full, conscious, and active participation in the Mass. Anybody heard those, that phrase, full, conscious, active participation? Okay, so some of us. That came to be understood in a very particular interpretation after the Second Vatican Council. This, um, the concilium, the, the group of bishops and experts and theologians who came up with the ideas of how to implement what was put in the Second Vatican Council, but, that what that came to be understood as was, well, what we need is to have the Lady more actively involved doing things during Mass. We need them to be uh, readers. We need them to be uh, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. We need them to be uh, doing all sorts of things. We need them to be saying more things. And, and some parishes, we need them to be dancing and putting ribbons in places and all sorts of things. Okay. All right, so that was, one of the, that was one of the interpretations, right? Now look, while some of these developments may have been beneficial, I'm not here to argue that. I'm not here to debate that. That's not what this homily is about. What I, wanted, what I do want to talk about, though, is that that whole notion, that whole interpretation of active participation was based on a, on a faulty um, translation of the text. Is based on a faulty translation of the text. The rendering of the actual council text. The council fathers weren't calling for more active participation. The word that is actually there in the Latin is actual participation. That's a big difference. It's a really big difference. And I've been chewing on that a lot in the past uh, couple months as I've been thinking a lot about what our church is going through. Actual participation. Like the vision from the Coming from the heart of the Second Vatican Council was that the faithful would actually participate in the mystical realities unfolding before them in the signs and in the symbols and in the rituals of the liturgy, right? Like to have actual participation, you have to more deeply understand what is actually going on. That was the vision. In order to actually participate, you have to more deeply understand what is actually going on. What do those words mean? What do these rituals mean? What do the signs mean, the symbols, the gestures? What does it all mean, right? What spiritual, mystical reality is unfolding in front of me that's, like, that I'm actually being drawn into? What is actually going on, right, at Mass? And, like, the problem remains the same for us in the church in the year 2021, right? The problem remains the same. So many faithful Catholics. There's nothing more familiar for us Catholics than the Mass, Right? We come to Mass and it seems like you just, you you enter in, you stand, you sit, you kneel, you got all the gestures, you got all the words. It's just, it's, it's, the familiarity of the rubric is, is both helpful and it's also problematic. Right? There's so much that's going on and I think there's a lot of us, myself included, until I, until I was finally engaging this stuff and seeking to understand what's going on, I think there's very few of us who have a real deep grasp of what's actually unfolding like, around us and, like, in and through this thing called the liturgy, the signs, the symbols, the rituals, the words, everything. So this is is what I want to do. I, I want to, like, laser focus our attention here for the next 45 minutes. I'm just kidding. Okay. I want to hone in on one element of the Mass to help us understand more deeply, to actually have us have more actual participation. Okay? All right. So here's the part. Gonna test your mass knowledge. Ready? The priest says to the faithful, "Lift up your hearts," and y'all say, "Oh, very good." Okay, you get a gold star. All right. Uh, I will chant that. I, I, that's that's that comes at the very beginning of the preface. So I would say, um, "Lift up your hearts," and you say, "We lift them up to the Lord." Okay, so it's chanted. It'll be chanted in this mass. But that part, "Lift up your hearts," we lift them up to the Lord. What does that mean? Just like I just take an internal like gut check right now in your own mind. What does that mean? Like 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 here you go. I don't here, like. What does that mean? What do those words mean? What are we being invited to do? What is the what is the church envisioning in this dialogue? Is it like it's not just simply like how do we start this next part? Should we like what words should we have them say? No, no, there's something very deep going on here. What are you supposed to be doing? What reality are those words directing us into? Right, actual participation, right? So I'm directing our attention to that part, that specific part, because, like, because of what we heard Jesus say in this controversial conversation that he's having with the Pharisees and the scribes. In particular, it's because of, of the quote that Jesus has from Isaiah. He says to these Pharisees and the scribes who just don't get it, He says, well did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Look, here's the reality. If we do not know what is being revealed in and through these signs and symbols and gestures and words of the liturgy, then we are not actually participating in the Mass, we're physically here, right? We're, we're, we're observing these realities. We're watching it like spectators. But the reality is that our, our worship then is in vain. Our worship is in vain. It doesn't, that doesn't mean that we're bad. It does not mean that we're bad people. It means that we're like, we're failing to receive and enter into the reality that we are being invited into. It's like, it's like stepping into the shower, turning the water on, putting on a full poncho, and just like standing beneath the water. You're just not going to get soaked. And eventually you're going to do that day after day, week after week, Sunday after Sunday. You're going to be like, what am I, what, why am I doing this? Like, this the, I, like, why do I keep stepping into the shower with this poncho on? What's the point of this? And look, like, I, I, I digress here, but I think this is very important. As I was praying with this this week, goodness gracious, like, the, here's the reality. Like, the days are coming when like, our culture's current like posture of tolerating our christian faith tolerating our catholicism the days are going to come when that's going to hit a tipping point when faithful christians when faithful catholics who actually stand for something will no longer be tolerated it's coming right the soft totalitarianism of our culture that's happening around us is eventually going to give way to persecution and i know that sounds maybe that sounds alarmist but it is happening in modern western like nations around us it's happening in canada it's happening in australia it's happening in ireland and parts of europe there's outright persecution going on of the faithful and like and when that happens here only those only only those who have a deep and actual living and abiding relationship with jesus are going to remain and the reality is i long for us i long for us to have a deeper relationship with the lord every single one of us i don't care where you are in your faith i just want our parish To know him more deeply. So, this is what I want to do. I want to get into this business because, more than anything, as I've been praying this whole year that I've been at this parish, like I just see, as I contemplate Jesus' heart, I just am drawn more and more into the flames of this heart. Right? Sacred heart of Jesus. Every image of the sacred heart you've ever seen has the heart aflame with fire. Like it's a heart that is burning. And the Like, the heart of the Lord is burning for us, it is burning for this parish, and he longs to set our hearts on fire more radiantly than they are right now. Like, his desire is to see renewal and transformation for us to become a spark within the diocese, right? Like, and nowhere is his burning heart more accessible, more, like, given to us than right here in the Mass. The Mass is where this privileged heart-to-heart encounter happens, the Mass is the privileged coming together of heaven and earth. That on this altar, if we could see it with the eyes of the angels, we would, like, we would be close to dying of the beauty. This is where heart comes to heart. So, I want to share some images. I want to share like the fruit of my own contemplation as I've meditated upon like, what is happening in the Mass. In that particular moment, we lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord in order to help you engage with your imagination more actually in that moment. You with me? We tracking? Yeah? Okay. Another 45 minutes. You'll be okay. All right, here we go. So I want to start with this. The heart. Like we heard it in all the readings, this mention of the heart. Like, But what is the heart? If the Mass is this heart-to-heart engagement, what is the heart? When we speak about the heart from a spiritual perspective, the heart is that deepest place in me where my I, my personal I, where my subjectivity, where I dwell, where my story is recorded, where my story is told. Like the heart is the place in me where decision springs from. Right? It's the place where you and I are alone with God. It's the place where when we let, rest our head in the pillow at night, it's the place where we are alone with God. It's the place of my deepest, affectivity, my deepest thoughts and feelings and hopes and desires and fears and dreams. It's the place where we hide our shame. It's the place where we bear wounds and pain. It's the place of my deepest interiority, right? It's my deepest receptivity, my openness to love and life. That's what we mean by the heart. John Paul II gave the church a beautiful image, a beautiful teaching when he spoke about the heart in the language of his Theology of the Body. He said that like, the mystery of femininity in particular, like woman's womb, it's like this concrete icon. The womb is like this concrete icon of what we mean by the heart. This is what John Paul II says. He means like it's a place of intimacy that each of us carry, that when open to another... When vulnerable and receptive to another begets life. It's the place where we hold love and relationship and life in us. Alright, I know that's a lot of imagery, but stay with me. So like, when we come to Mass, here's the next part. When we come to Mass, where are we? We, I know know the first answer is we're in Wadsworth, dum-dum. Okay, yes, I know. All right. Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish. We are in Wadsworth. Yes. And no... Like, the beautiful, mystical teaching of the church is that when we come to Mass, we're not just simply at, like, a zip code geographical location. That every single Mass, whether it happens here in this church or in St. Peter's Basilica or wherever it may be, every Mass occurs, comes mystically to the foot of the cross 2,000 years ago at Golgotha. Like, that's what we believe happens at Mass, that we are mystically, spiritually, sacramentally transported to that moment that every Mass is taking place at the foot of the cross, that we are there at the foot of the cross, those events and you and I become contemporaries to each other. This is what the church has taught and believed. This comes from our Jewish brothers and sisters, their understanding of Passover. That when Jesus instituted the new Passover, the Eucharist, the Mass, he was teaching and his disciples understood this moment becomes cotemporaneous with every moment. Every Mass takes place at the foot of the cross. And who was there at the foot of the cross? But Jesus' mother, right? Mary. The new Eve. You've got the new Adam hanging on the cross, right? And there at the foot of the cross is the new Eve. Mary, who is the mystical bride. Mary, who is like the personal embodiment of all of humanity, of the church. That's what the church has taught from the very beginning that Mary, like this woman here, like she is the personal face the personal face of the entirety of humanity, the entire church. She's the concrete icon of the church. So here's what's happening. So when we're at the foot of the cross, as we enter into this Eucharistic prayer, the preface, dialogue, when the priest says, lift up your hearts, and the congregation says, with a little more chutzpah. All right, now we're talking. Okay. If the heart is this deep, intimate, interior place of receptivity, if the heart is like a womb that I carry within me, if it's made to receive, then the question should be, like, what is my heart supposed to be receiving? If I'm lifting up my heart, this receptive thing to the Lord, what is my heart supposed to be receiving? What is my heart supposed to receive in this moment at Golgotha? That's the question, right? This is probably an overly simplified analogy, but like I went to Panera this morning to get some uh, to get a bagel and some coffee. And I got my cup, my cup, and I lifted it up to the coffee dispenser to receive coffee, right? I lifted up this receptacle to receive coffee. Okay. When I lift up my heart to the Lord, what am I supposed to receive? What's supposed to be poured in there? It's not coffee, okay? Okay, you with me? All right. The flow, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. The flow of blood and water that gushed forth from the open heart and side of Christ. Like his heart, like our God who became flesh, God who is love, God who hung the stars in the sky, took on flesh and had a beating heart. The infinite one, packaged himself into the, inf- into the finite body of Jesus of Nazareth and his human heart contained the full treasure of heaven and it is pierced open and is gushing forth life and love and beauty and healing and mercy and glory, right? Like, like the church is saying in this moment, lift up your hearts because that tsunami is coming upon you. The beauty, the glory, the life, the mercy, everything, like, it's about to flow into you, and like, are you ready to receive it? Like, receive here, like, be opened here. This is what the church is saying. Like, so during the consecration, you will, you'll, there's gonna be a moment, right? Every single Mass, there's a moment where the priest takes the chalice and lifts up the chalice to the Lord, right? Every single Mass, lifting up the chalice to the Lord, filled with the precious blood of Jesus, Now look, the the chalice, the priest's chalice, is in some ways, it, it represents Mary. It represents Mary, the perfect open vessel who perfectly received the Lord in her womb. It's the perfect open vessel that perfectly received the Lord. But look, this, that, the chalice that will be on this altar that I'll lift up, that's, it's not the only chalice that's here at Mass. Your hearts are like chalices. right? And, and if, you're, if you're like me, your first thought is, well, oh man, Father, my, if my heart's a chalice, I can tell you it doesn't look like that gold and silver one that's going to be on the altar. I'll tell you that. Okay, maybe that's just me. I don't know. Maybe your heart's a <laughs> amazing okay and, and honestly like if you're thinking you're, that's my heart you're right and that's perfect my heart doesn't look like that either right what makes our hearts receptive capable of receiving this love and this life from like the bridegroom's heart what makes our hearts receptive is not our successes our accomplishments our virtues God isn't Rewarding our virtue with His salvation. What makes our hearts receptive is our brokenness. It's our wounds, it's our sins, it's our struggles, it's all of those all of that stuff, all of that junk, all of that is like, that's the concavity, right? That's the bowl. That's the thing that we can hold the Lord's mercy in our hearts. We hold the Lord think about that. We hold the Lord's mercy. Everything that flowed from his heart from the cross, everything that's bursting from his heart, we hold it, we receive it into our brokenness, into our wounds, into our sins. There is no other place in you to hold the Lord's mercy. The only receptacle, the only chalice you have is your broken heart, which then implies this. This is what's so important for us, right? Like if we have come here to mass, but we've left our hearts at home, right? Or if we're just like not in touch with our hearts, or if we ignore our hearts, or if we pretend that all of that junk in our hearts isn't there, we just button down the hatches, right? If I think I can't bring that out, I can't show that to Jesus, then just like the Pharisees, we will be honoring him with our lips, but our hearts will be far from him, and our worship will be in vain. Do you see what I'm saying? If we do not bring our hearts, then like the one thing he is most interested in, the one thing he most wants will then for us be the one thing we most hide from him. Like if you do not bring your heart with you, like open and naked and raw and vulnerable, if you're not intentional about exposing your heart to the Lord, like giving him your heart, then what is this worship? You're wearing a poncho in the shower. The tsunami is coming and you're saying, I do not want to get wet. The Mass is the privileged encounter between the bridegroom and the bride, between Jesus and the church, between his heart and your heart, and like all of the glory, all of the beauty, all of the love and mercy that gushed forth from his heart, he's longing to pour out somewhere. He's longing to, like that flood, that mercy, that river, he wants it to go somewhere into the wombs of our hearts. Like the place he's looking to pour out is your heart into you. Why? So that you might be filled with joy and filled with life and transformed. It's the only thing he's interested in is transforming you. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take just a few moments in silence. I'm going to be done preaching here in just a second. We're just going to take a few moments in silence for us to get in touch with our hearts. Start telling the Lord, like open to him, show him where you want that river of life to flood. Actual participation. Not just going through the motions. No amount of casual contact with the Lord will ever change us or change the world. We have to encounter Him deeply. And that means letting Him encounter our hearts. Amen.